Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, hit it shot. Oh, baby, what a play. This is Jeff Fedot with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team and Casey and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, Mike Davidson joins former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Joe Valerio on our show. Now the curator of the Chiefs Hall of Honor, Davidson was the Chiefs equipment manager for 22 years. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Well, Jeff and Joe, thank you so much for um, taking uh, allowing me to come on the show here and to talk to you here this evening. This is this is great. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Well, Mike, it's a great honor to have you on. You were incredible teammate. Uh, if anybody who watched us in the '80s, '90s, and in the 2000s saw how awesome we looked and how well oiled that machine was. And it was all thanks to Mike Davidson and, you know, your continuation of your affiliation with the team, Mike is amazing. Just so everybody knows, Mike took me on a tour of the stadium recently for the Kimball Anders uh, hall of fame game and um, gave me the first, uh, you know, just kind of the first hand tour of, of the new uh, hall of honor. And it is amazing. So anybody who gets a ticket to get into that stadium and go and see it, you've got to see it. You've got to pay Mike a visit. It is absolutely amazing how it tells the history. And you and Bob Moore, Mike, have done a fantastic job preserving that legacy. Well, well, thank you, Joe. And, and uh, um, you know, being the equipment manager with the Chiefs, it wasn't a one-man show. You know, it wasn't a one-person show. Um, Alan Wright, Albert Vatia, who you may remember. Sure. Chris Dropshire. Um, Kyle Crumbaugh, um, Darren Kearns, uh, all the assistants that that worked um, over the years with me, uh, you know, they were they were certain. Like I said, it wasn't a one person show. It was it was a staff and in a department that uh, um, hopefully we we did our job. That you all didn't have to worry about the equipment and and uh, just just you know you take care of business on the field and we'll get you guys to make sure you get out on the field. Well, Mike, here's something that's absolutely amazing and a testament to you, your leadership, and the legacy that you left in the equipment room. When I went back to, you know, it had been a while since I'd been back. You know, my last season was the 96 season. Mm -hmm. So it's been, you know, pretty, pretty long time since I've been there. So you'd expect there to be some turnover. However, you wouldn't expect there to be that much. But here's a testament to you and the the amazing job that you and Alan have done in the equipment room. You, Alan Wright, Chris Shropshire, <laughs> and Clark Hunt are the only affiliation that I have to that team from when I my last season in 1996. So think about that, Mike. You, Alan, and Chris, and Clark Hunt, the owner, who he wasn't technically the owner when I was there, it was still Lamar, but nonetheless, he was, you know, part of the family are the only four people that I have any affiliation with from my time uh, after the 96 season. So I think that's a testament to you and the fact that you and at, you passed that legacy along to Alan and Chris and everyone's still there and everybody else is gone. So I think that's really cool. And I wanted to make everybody aware of that because I just think that's amazing. And it really is, like I said, I'll say it one more time. It's a testament to you and, and the legacy uh, and, and the leadership that you brought to the organization. Well, thank you. They, uh, Alan and, and Shrop, 
uh, little Chris, our, uh, you know, little Chris just turned 50 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's not little Chris you know, anymore. Like, when did this happen, you know? <laughs> but, uh, they're, they're good people and uh, worked hard, still work hard, and, and uh, uh, dedicated, trustworthy, uh, you know, just did, and we were enjoyed working with them immensely and still do, still do on a peripheral vision now. Yeah. Joe was in Houston this past week, and it was not to scout the Texans, but was for his day job, a work trip. Um, tell tell Mike and also the listeners uh, the last time you were in Houston, because I'd like both your, you know, with the with the Texans game coming up, I'd like both your, your take on, uh, on on Joe the last time you were there. A pretty memorable experience. I mean, I, I don't think I'll, uh, you know, it was probably the most exciting game, you know, to ever be involved with coming into the house of pain, buddy Ryan's defense, the, the Houston Oilers run and shoot offense, Warren moon, you know, we were probably, I don't know, Mike, we were probably at least close to being double digit underdogs going into that game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we squeaked by the Steelers at home in overtime and we head down to the house. They had won 11 straight games, Jeff. And we can't, my actually the game speaks for itself. I think there's a lot of fans that know Keith cash throwing the ball with buddy Ryan, you know, the Joe Montana, uh, black 58 razor audible, you know, the, the, the Marcus touchdown that sealed the game. But for me personally, coming home, to the airport. Now, Mike might have been on a different schedule because you have to understand that our equipment guys, they got it done, man. I mean, they were they were working 24-7 to get to and from and back and forth. So Mike may not have appreciated this as much as we did coming off of the jetway. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of fans at the airport at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and they were sitting up in the rafters of KCI air MCI airport. So that would, that's what I always remember. Mike, I'm sure you probably have your, your memories as well. Yeah. And then Joe, if you remember as, as you left the airport along the road that heads out towards the freeway, um, they were lined up, the cars were lined up along there and people were getting out of their cars and, and, uh, and uh, cheering on the buses. So that was an exciting game going down there and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we had got beat by Houston earlier in the year. Um, also, and, yeah, and I think they, that's they what we're underdogs, or we were certainly underdogs. They were pretty much just gonna just mop us up out down there. But uh, that was the next. That was a very exciting uh, 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 time down there. And and uh, remember getting back up in the locker room. And remember the locker room was up on the second level of the old Astrodome. You had to go up those ramps to get up there. And and uh, we got up in there. And and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And. And uh, that that was that was ex- that was great for the city. It was great for the fans, and uh, um, it was it was a it was very special, and still is to this day. If anybody you know who's listening and can't see us on the video portion, we're, we're wearing the same outfit. And I just wanted to ask Mike, it's just kind of as a segue to what he was saying about going up and down those ramps. And Mike, give us a little idea of what it's like to get, you know. 53 active players, a lot of traveling players, you know, 20 coaches and staff. I mean, what's it like from the inside? Tell our listeners, like, getting a team ready for a game, not just like that Houston game, but but any game, especially when you're especially when you're on the road. I mean, what are the logistics like? So um, so just packing for an for an away trip, your your process pretty much starts the uh, earlier in the week, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, you have your various trunks, et cetera, that, that have backups to the backups. And, and uh, 
Um, the, the equipment all for our team, the equipment all flies on the charter aircraft. So uh, we, you know, get your travel bags packed up. Um, so if we're going to leave on Saturday for an away game, um, Saturday morning, we pack up the travel bags, get you guys to make sure we got everything in there for you. Probably between the athletic trainers, um, the video department, um, KCFX at that time, who was the uh, radio station for us, um, they had travel trunks. We probably were traveling at that time, not including winter gear, around 16,000, 17,000 pounds of equipment underneath the plane. And then you charter with a with a trucking company in the city that you're going to. Um, everything goes on the charter charter aircraft. Um, when you land in the city, the players and coaches get on the buses and go to the hotel. Uh, we take the equipment over to the to the stadium or the dome, depending on where you're playing, and uh, go to the stadium on Saturday evening and uh, set up the locker room so that when you all show up on Sunday, um, everything's set up. Your lockers are set up. And uh, um, you guys, all you have to do is put on your gear and go play the game. And then when the game's over, you, you reverse it. You pack it all back up. Uh, you load up the, uh, the equipment truck there that, you, that you're leasing with the trucking company. And, and everything goes back to the airport, gets loaded on the uh, charter aircraft, fly it back to, the, to Kansas City. And then here in Kansas City, we have a trucking company that we contract with. They're at the airport waiting for us to take all our equipment off the aircraft. After we land back in Kansas City, the players and coaches, they go back, um, they go home and we take the equipment back to um, the facility and unpack everything and begin doing laundry, putting everything back in the lockers. Um, depending on what kind of a game it was, it was a rain game or snowy game, whatever, you might have to lay things out if they got wet on the on the, you know, on the sideline or whatever, but uh, we go back and do several hours of work after we land um, and then turn around and go back in the next morning and, and get ready for the next game. Yeah. All over again. That's so amazing. A Monday, a Monday night or a Sunday night game then? Do you guys just pull an all-nighter or do you like what time, yeah. what time do you guys like finish and do you have time to go home? I guess. After yeah. That? There's a lot of those night games on the road, especially if it's the West coast or um, there's, there's been on, you know, several between the athletic trainers and us, there's been several all-nighters. Um, maybe you go lay down on the athletic uh, training table for a couple hours, um, or you just don't even go to sleep. You just go ahead and work through it, um, depending on what time you get back. And, uh, you know, a night game out on the West Coast, you're not going to get back till 4.35 in the morning. Um, and then you have three hours, four hours of work when you when you wow. get back to put that things is, so that's uh, amazing mike and that's something that you know fans they're you know sometimes their biggest investment might be right if they if it's a home game and they go three four hours early and tailgate the game is three and a half four hours they spend maybe an hour in the parking lot celebrating a win you know you're looking at like maybe 10 hours right and and or if you're watching it on television it's three and a half right you grab your chips grab your soda grab your beer you watch the game Mm -hmm. Next game comes on three and a half hours later mm -hmm. and you turn the television off. And I think it just, for me, I think it gives our listeners and fans who yeah. listen a perspective on from, 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 you know, right from your mouth, like what goes into it 
and how it's not just, you know, all these, well, I don't talk about those all white uniforms a lot because Jeff knows that I wasn't was, a big fan. <laughs> that, that was, that, we're going to get to that. That's, that's they didn't make us, they didn't make us, they weren't very flattering. They didn't make the linemen look too good. I've always felt like the Michelin man when I was wearing that. I know, I know Grunny used to say the same thing, but um, <laughs> like the, 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 uh, the, it's just, it's just an incredible perspective, Mike, and, and what goes in, to a game and something you told me uh, when I was out there now that the the facility is is offset right where the the, the full-time mm-hmm. facility is you know down by the uh down by the pra- the old practice fields for me every game is an away game technically for the yeah. staff right yeah yeah that that's true so even for a home game for us now um the equipment staff the athletic trainers it, it's an away game so we again our 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 training complex is on the other side of the parking lot down by the old practice fields down there. And uh, so Saturday morning of a home game, uh, if it's a Sunday game, load up an equipment truck down there, bring it up. Don't have to go very far. Just go up through the parking lot and down the tunnel. But again, <laughs> you have to set up the locker room and, uh, and just like it's an away game. And then when the game is over, you pack it all back up and, and all that needs to go back down there too. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's an away game, even a home game, so to speak. Uh, um, you know, you gotta, you're, you're moving the equipment again. So, yeah. And you're talking about the white jerseys. I think it was, was it Grunny or Zot that used to say, we look like marshmallows. Yes. <laughs> it was both of those two knuckleheads. They, they love to, they love to get on, on you guys about those white uniforms. We all did, you know, the, the, the D backs, the, 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 you know, the svelte <laughs> linebackers, you know, they all look good in those all whites, man. You know, you start stuffing us guys into those things and you know, our jerseys weren't small. I mean, I mean, they weren't, uh, they weren't like large, they were tight. Like, you know, we wanted to make sure nobody's grabbing our equipment and, and, and holding on to us. And man, I felt like, I just felt like a sausage. I felt like, uh, you know, 10 pounds of sausage in a five pound bag in those white uniforms. <laughs> like, <laughs> was it, was it, Mar- was it Marty Schottenheimer? Did he like go to you and say, Hey, we're going to do the white uniforms, like the Browns. And then who was it Vermeil? Was it uh Gunther? Who then said, "Okay, we're going back to the red pants." Take 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 uh, listeners through how that process went. So when we when we came here, I, I came with Marty from Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns. Um, when Marty, I started my career in, in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns in the equipment department when Sam Matigliano was the head coach and Marty was an assistant coach on that staff. And um, we uh, Marty became our head coach in Cleveland halfway through the 1984 season. Then he left Cleveland to become the head coach of Kansas City. And when we got here in 1989, we still had training camp up at William Jewell. Joe, remember that up there at William Jewell College? And we got up there and we were having a, uh, in 1989, we were going down to San Antonio for a, um, a scrimmage against the Houston Oilers. And it was going to be about 185 degrees down in San Antonio on that, uh, when we were going down there. And I, I remember looking at the red pants that we had. And I said, look, I said, if we were white pants, it might be a little bit cooler while we're down there for this mm-hmm. scrimmage down in San Antonio. So that was our first trip uh, as a Kansas City Chiefs, went down to San Antonio to, to scrimmage the Oilers. And Marty liked the all-white. Now, we were coming from Cleveland, where we wore all-white for home games in Cleveland, and we wore white on the road often also because home teams would normally wear their, red jer- or their colored jerseys. So um, Lamar Hunt actually saw the white on white, and he said, you know, we haven't done that in a long time. Um, he said, actually, in Super Bowl one, we were all white. Um, and, and he said, it's kind of a good look. And at that time, 
things are kind of changing, you know, had a new general manager, had a new uh, head coach. Um, and so we, we asked Clark what he, or we, I'm sorry, we asked Lamar what he thought and he was all for it. We certainly got his permission to ditch the red pants and, um, and go with the all white. And then when Gunther became the head coach in 1999, Gunther wanted to change things up in his way and go back to red pants with the white jerseys. That that's great stuff. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know the the history of it and how Lamar was involved. How Mike himself was involved. Maybe Joe, you yeah. should blame Mike a little bit that you weren't looking for uh, slim in those I'm, uniforms. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be texting Timmy. I'm going to be texting Timmy and Dave Zott right now. So let them know. <laughs> hey, you remember all those times we talked about those white on white? That was Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but we looked like marshmallows. I'll never forget that. <laughs> well. More with uh, Mike Davidson in a second. But first, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to bet online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Uh, we're here with Mike Davidson, not only the longtime equipment manager of the Chiefs, he's also the curator of the Chiefs Hall of Honor uh, Mike, I, I'm curious. I want your favorite one. Of my favorite player growing up had his jersey and everything. Derek Thomas. I want your favorite Derek Thomas memory. And of course, now my favorite player now is is, is an old man. Uh, your your favorite Joe Valerio memory from some of your days with the team. Well, with Joe, I will tell you this, Joe. I'll never forget um, Steve Bono's run down in in Arizona, and uh, you got out in front of him. And uh, you were waving them on, like, come on, come on. <laughs> come on. And, and uh, I, I just remember that play, and I remember how well it worked. And and there was nobody in sight but you and Steve. And our sideline was absolutely just cracking up watching watching this because the Cardinals had no idea where the ball was. And uh, and you led, you were just waving, waving Steve on. Come on, come on, come on. We, we actually have that video in the uh, Hall of Honor. And uh, – it's it's awesome. It's great. Oh, that's that's cool that that's part of as it yeah. should be. That's very cool. Yeah. That so was with cool. Derek, I think the 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 one story with Derek that's always kind of fun is he had had a pair of shoulder pads he had brought from college from Alabama and and he wore them his first year his rookie year which he had very success with them. You know he was um, defense uh, rookie of the year and and uh, played very well. But we wanted to update his shoulder pads a little bit just get them um, kind of bring them just they were they were small he's one of the first players to really go to a small shoulder pad versus the old big shoulder pads that defense players used to wear so we sent him to uh, power by riddell this company and 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 had him sent that pair that he brought from college after his rookie year and had them uh remake another pair of similar but just beef them up just a little bit with with some updated technology so we got the shoulder pads back that off season and Derek looked at them, put them on, went in front of the mirror, looked at them. He said, yeah, they're pretty nice, but I think I'm going to wear my other pads. And we're like, okay, that's good. You know? So we had him out on the workbench and he'd come in and look at them. And, but again, the best fitting equipment is probably the one that they think is the best fitting equipment for him. So, you know, we didn't push them, but we carried the shoulder pads with us on the, on the road and we carried them in a sideline. 
And we went to Seattle and um, there was a, a turnover and uh, Derek defensive players are taught to go turn around and hit somebody, you know, and if you get a turnover, go find an offensive guy and go, go hit them. And I think Derek picked the biggest offensive lineman that Seattle had. And this guy absolutely knocked Derek in the next week. Okay. I mean, Derek went flying and uh, he kind of gets up and he comes off to the sideline and, and he looks at Alan and I, and he said, I think I'm ready for those new shoulder pads. <laughs> we said, That's Derek, great. I don't think those new shoulder pads would have helped you. <laughs> that That's guy awesome. That heck out of you. So Derek was a great guy. He's so friendly. Good to everybody. Good to all the, all our ball boys, um, all the young guys that help us at training camp. He was good to the assistants, um, anyone in the building, the custodians. He he was just very good to everybody and, and brought a lot of energy. Um, but it was just a, just a good person to be around, a great person to be around. And, and, uh, to this day, I, I, I think the world of them and, and, and miss them dearly. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Hi, Mike. I mean, tell us about, you know, tell us, you know, for those who haven't seen it, you know, and they can maybe picture it in their mind's eye and, and, and the amazing job that you've done with, you know, with the hall of honor and, Talk about the inspiration, you know, that you and Bob and everybody in the organization had for this and, and how you brought it to life and, and and just some of the things that are in there that are meaningful to you. Sure, absolutely. I would love to, Joe um, and Jeff. So in the renovations of, Air, of Arrowhead Stadium from 2008 to 2010, there was an original Hall of Honor um, put in um, and it was nice. It wasn't climate controlled. But it was very nice. And basically, it told the story of Lamar Hunt, his history, his legacy, the American Football League, which he founded, as well as um, the a the AFL and, and uh, his franchises. So real quickly, Lamar was raised in Dallas, Texas, and he loves sports. Um, he as a graduated from SMU, where he was on the football team, and he graduated with a degree in geology. Um, did go to work with his father in the oil industry briefly, but he had a goal. He wanted to own a professional sport team. And what he did was very simply, he went to the NFL you know, to see if he, after watching the 1958 NFL championship game between the Baltimore Colts and New York Giants, and uh, he thought he would ask them if they would expand the NFL. Now, in 1959, the NFL only had 12 teams. Ten were east of the Mississippi River, two were west of the Mississippi River. They weren't interested in expanding. Um so he, they did tell him that the Chicago Cardinals might be for sale. That was before they moved to St. Louis and on to Arizona. So Lamar flew down to the Miami of Florida to meet with the ownership of the Chicago Cardinals. Couldn't work out a deal to buy the team. And quite literally on his flight back to Dallas, um, where Lamar was from, on his American Airlines flight, he borrowed stationery and uh, started jotting down notes what it would take to start a new professional football league. And we actually have those notes in our museum space. Oh, Joe, wow. I think I, I showed you that. That was the that was the that was the start of what was called the American Football League. So he gets back to Dallas. Um, and in 1959, in August, he had the first organizational meeting and uh, he had an eight team league um, started was going to have six, but he added Buffalo and Boston within a two month period. And uh, in 1960 days, 27, he launched what was called the American Football League or the AFL. Today, we know that as the AFC. Lamar's franchise was in Dallas. They were called the Dallas Texans. It was a pretty good deal, good deal for him, except what happened was the NFL saw this as competition. So they did expand. 
And remember, <laughs> they just told him they weren't going to expand. So they added two teams, the Minnesota Vikings, who were one of Lamar's original eight AFL teams. They bailed out on Lamar at the very last minute and, and didn't start till 1961. The Oakland Raiders actually took the Vikings place in the AFL. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFL added a second team in 1960 and put them in Dallas, called them the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, basically it was just to get um, competition. They didn't want Lamar's new AFL league to, to survive and trying to drive them out of business. So basically what happened was after three years as playing as the Dallas Texans, they weren't being supported very well. Neither were the Cowboys at that point. So Lamar was going to have to relocate his franchise. And uh, in, in uh, May of 1963, he relocated his franchise to Kansas City and renamed the team the Kansas City Chiefs. So that's how they ended up in Kansas City after three years as playing as Dallas Texans. So our, our museum space that we have, our Hall of Honor, it recognizes not just the the Kansas City Chiefs, but the Dallas Texans, and more importantly, the American Football League, the AFL, which now is known as the AFC. Lamar always wanted to be known as the founder. He never wanted to be known as an owner. He was the founder. And he was very proud of those other owners that took a chance with him when he launched this new football league. So when you come into our, our Hall of Honor, you will see all 10 because um, Cincinnati and Miami were added in that 10 year period as expansion teams. All 10 teams are honored from the AFL. And Lamar was very proud of those owners to have taken a chance with him. So we have the American Airlines stationery. We have some documents in there. as part of that merger, which Lamar was involved with the merger of the AFL and the NFL in 1966, as part of that merger, um, they, they decided they were going to play an AFL-NFL championship game, which Lamar just kind of kiddingly referred to as the Super Bowl based oh. on this little toy that you see right here called a Super Bowl. Okay. <laughs> and that's how the Super Bowl got its name. So we have a little story about that. And we have a document where Lamar wrote to Whammo who makes this toy saying, yes, I got the name Super Bowl based after your little toy called a Super Bowl. We also have a document where Lamar suggested that add Roman numerals after the fourth Super Bowl. He noticed they were calling it Super Bowl one, Super Bowl two, Super Bowl three. And he suggested that they add Roman numerals to it to put a little class to Lamar always thought this was kind of a funny name, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. He just thought it wasn't very classy. So that's when the Roman numerals that Lamar suggested they had. But one of the most important documents that we have in our document case is in August of 1970, Lamar got word that Vince Lombardi, the old Green Bay Packer coach, was very, very ill. And he wrote a very personal, private letter, compassionate letter to the commissioner, um, Pete Rozelle, suggesting they rename the Super Bowl trophy the Vince Lombardi trophy. And Joe, I think I pointed that out to you when you were there. Yeah. It is one Amazing. of the things that we have. In addition to the Lamar Hunt section, we have a section on our inductees in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. We have a Origins in Dallas. Um, we have the AFL-NFL rivalry coming to Kansas City. The merger, we talk of all our championship trophies from the 1962 Dallas Texans AFL championship, the 66. Kansas City Chiefs AFL Championship, the 1969 Kansas City Chiefs AFL Championship, as well as Super Bowl One, which the Chiefs played the Green Bay Packers and got beat, as well as Super Bowl Four and Super Bowl 54. We have championship cases that, that have all those trophies and that story all detailed out. We also have a section from the Renaissance years, Joe, which talks about Marty mm-hmm. and Derek Thomas and Joe Montana and J.J. Burden and Will Shields, Trent Green, Dan Salamua, Marcus Allen. And then over on the other side, 
we have all our bus from our Chiefs Hall of Famers. And if you go in there, we have the bus on both sides. They're flanked on the on the east end and the west end, as well as the touchscreen where you can pull up each one of those inductees and we tell a story about them. Bob wrote all the copy for each one of them. It's absolutely, it's, it's great. It's a great honor. Tremendous. And you have photos, we have video. In addition, we have another touchscreen that tells every game that we have ever played in our history. If you touch on that, it will bring up the score, where it was played, and also who scored in that game. In addition, we took and have some standout games. So the ones that really stood out over others, you can you can click on that and you can find yourself looking at some highlights from years back of different games. And I believe we have Joe on there with his, his uh, leading Steve Bono down the field. <laughs> um, at the other end, we have um, every player that's ever been on our roster. And again, it's a touchscreen interactive. You touch on it. Joe, I showed you that when you were there. And yep, uh, amazing. you click on every player. And, and in some cases, there's a video attached to that player. And then we also have touchscreens that talk about the history of the American Football League. So along with the big LED boards that have highlights of, of Super Bowl four, Super Bowl 54, um, we have um, highlights of previous games here that we have played this season as well as we have Kimball Anders, um, um, who was inducted back in November. We have a little highlight on that. So it's very interactive. And, and uh, if you come to a game, it's not an extra charge. It's not a separate fee. If you bought a ticket to the game, you can come into our Hall of, our Hall of Honor and tour it. You can also have private tours, public tours, um, which we have on Friday and Saturdays. And uh, it's, it's really, it talks about Lamar Hunt his history, his legacy, the American Football League, not just his team, but all the teams, as well as our Chiefs and Texans and Chiefs players over the years that are in our Hall of Fame, as well as every player that's ever been on our roster, we honor in there. Yeah. And then we have 10 display windows um, that also from each era, from the 60s, we have um, Chris Burford, we have um, Ed Podolak honored in there. We have Art Still, Duran Cherry, Tamba, uh, Tom Bali, Derek Johnson, Jamal Charles, and of course, Travis and, and, and Patrick. And we also have a special exhibit on Lynn Dawson. Mike, I would suggest to fans, honestly, well, number one, the reverence that they uh, approach this place with, it is immaculate. Like you can just tell that it's in the middle of a stadium. You would think it was in the middle of the Smithsonian Institute, the Smithsonian Institute, this, the way that people take care of it. It is immaculate because the fans have such reverence for it. And that's, I think, a testament to what you and Bob have done and, mm -hmm. and how they feel about the Hunt family and the organization. I would buy a ticket to the game, not even to watch the game, but to get in to see the hall of honor i'm serious mike it is amazing and yeah. to any listener or fan that's listens to our podcast you've got to check it out when you're there if you haven't already it's absolutely amazing and 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 you know getting this great insiders tour from you mike i think will give uh, our listeners even a better perspective on on what it's like so thank you for for that for keeping the legacy alive because i think we get caught up in these you know, as fans today and Patrick and Travis and all the current players and players or fans sometimes forget about the players and the history that's there behind the organization and especially the genesis of it. And you've done a great job of telling that story, my friend. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Joe. And, and you know, obviously, you know, Bob, Bob has such a history with the franchise also and, and his knowledge and uh, his writing skills. And, and then of course, having the support from the, from Clark and the Hunt family to be able to have this opportunity is, 
it, it's it, it's it's an honor. It's truly an honor. Well, we, we've got to have you back on too, Mike. We've got to have you back on to uh, to tell more stories about this. Our listeners are, are loving it. So thank you so much. Good. Thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That was Mike Davidson, uh, the curator of the Chiefs Hall of Honor, also the equipment manager for the Chiefs for 22 years. Hey guys, this is this is a lot more interesting than talking about the Texans for sure with the Chiefs by 14. Well, we'll be here next week to wrap that up. And if you enjoy this show presented by Bet Online, please subscribe. We're available on your favorite directories: iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.